You guys can go ahead and get your Bibles out. Turn to Luke chapter 23. So like I was uh, just mentioning, we've been going through the gospel of Luke, right? And I mentioned it. I mean, we haven't done this in like three weeks, actually. But last time I preached when we got together, I, I told you we are in the last couple of weeks of the gospel of Luke. We actually just have two left. We have tonight and we have next week. And then we're done. Right, we're done with the entire gospel over two semesters, and uh, we've, we've gone through some really big things to learn about Jesus. We've gone through a lot of great and amazing things to learn about his teaching, uh, but tonight we're at the culmination of the gospel. We are at the, the turning point. The reason that Jesus was born, the reason that he came, occurs in this chapter tonight, and it's, it's impossible for me to just try to preach the entire chapter to you tonight, and I wanted to also just do something a little bit different. I wanted to take advantage of the fact that our church and, and the church globally is, is entering into the Christmas season, that we are as a church focusing on the, the birth of Christ, and so um, I guess first I want to prepare you for probably what is the weirdest Christmas message you've ever heard, um, because it's not one that you're probably going to expect. Um, but I'd like to tonight um, remind ourselves of the Christmas story, but look at it through the lens of the crucifixion. Say that again. I'd like to remind ourselves of the Christmas story tonight, but I'd, look at, I'd like to look at it through the lens of the, the crucifixion, meaning I'd like to look at the birth of Christ knowing how he dies. I'd like to better understand the beginning as we open up God's word and we study the end together. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Yes, we are in Luke chapter 23, and I encourage you just go ahead and stay in Luke chapter 23, but we're actually going to be bouncing back and forth between the beginning of the gospel and the end of the gospel tonight. So we're going to have uh, spots in Luke's chapter 1 and 2. If you got my text messages this week, you probably saw my encouragement for you to read through Luke chapter 1 and 2 just to familiarize yourself with the Christmas story a little bit. Um, but we are going to be comparing things that happen in the Christmas story with things that happen in the crucifixion. And the reason that we are going to be doing that is to better understand the weight of everything that has occurred at the crucifixion, the, the purpose of it, and by the end of it, the hope that is in the crucifixion. So here's what I'm calling the message tonight. I'm calling it Christmas reversed. Christmas reversed. And I'm calling it that because um, while I was studying this passage over the last couple of weeks, like the Lord began to just put on my heart the, the weight of the difference between what we experience at the birth of Christ in Christmas and what we experience at the crucifixion. If you, if you come to our church, you know there's, there's a pretty big feeling difference between our Christmas Eve services when we gather together and our Good Friday services when we gather together. They're, they're drastically different, and this weight of, of the differences, yet the similarities really began to weigh on me. And, and really tonight is me just wanting to share with you the, some of those differences, some of the things that we see that are like, they're sort of similar, and yet they're complete opposites, and they help us understand one another. So, Altogether, we're going to see four points, right? Four points on how the Christmas and the, and the Christmas story and the, the crucifixion relate. And uh, here's the first one. Like when we're looking at these things, we see that praise turned to lament. 
Praise turn to lament. You know, notice my little verse scriptures up there. I've got 220 verses, 23, 27. That's literally so you can know where I'm drawing them from. Like I said, you can stay in Luke chapter 23 if you want. In just a minute, I will have parts of the Christmas story up there as well as you're, as you're there looking at it with me. Um, so let me just show you a bit of what we're jumping around with right now. So with your Bible open to Luke 23, let me explain to you what's happening in the Christmas story as we read this verse in just a minute. So the shepherds were visited by the angels, right? These shepherds are just chilling. They're told by the angels that a baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. So, so what do they do after they hear this? Naturally, they go to Bethlehem to see him. And they saw the newborn baby Savior. They saw the hope that had been promised. That's what we understand Christmas to be, the beginning of the fulfillment of all the things that God ever said that he was going to do to save his people. Like they saw that fulfilled. They saw the miracle of the Son of God coming to earth. They saw the angels proclaim it. They got to experience all that. And then Scripture says something about what they were experiencing as they left. And you can see it in Luke 2.20 there on the screen. It says that the shepherds, as they returned, so as they were leaving... They were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen as it had been told them. So here's what I want to draw out of the story right now. Jesus is in this scene, right? Like he's the center of attention in this scene. He's the newborn babe. He's the long-awaited Messiah, and he's the Davidic king. If you've been around for this series, you know we've talked about the Davidic king a lot. We've talked about how Jesus is that king, and I'm just going to give you a hint now, next semester, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Just a little hint there, like we will be exploring the whole area of, of Jesus being the Davidic king and, and what that means as we dive into the New Testament next semester. But anyway, Jesus here, he's the center of the story, right? There's people around him. They knew who he is. They know what he's meant to do. The shepherds, they're representing these people and, and who they are. And, and what is their initial response? Their initial response is praise. You see that? It says they glorified and they praised God for all that had been done. So why are they, they're, why are they praising? They're praising because they're filled with wonder. They're filled with awe, they're filled with joy, they're filled with hope. All these things that we talk about in the Christmas season because their long-awaited king, like the one who's supposed to sit on the throne that's been empty for generations, he's finally come, he's finally here. And it's a scene that's filled with hope and praise and joy. But it is a pretty different scenario than what we see in Luke 23. So if you're in Luke 23, like I said, you'll see here that we are in the crucifixion. Just to catch you up, if you're unfamiliar with the story, Jesus has been arrested. He's been tried. He's been put on trial. He has not been found guilty, and yet he is being executed anyways because of the response of the people and the way they demanded his life. He's not been found guilty, and yet he's put in execution Anyways, and part of his execution is to have to walk with his cross or get some help, as we'll see in the passage, but walk with his cross to the place that he is going to die. Like to put this in perspective, this would be like making someone build the electric chair that they have to sit in and then die in. That's the prospect here. He is carrying his own torture device to the place that he is going to die. And here's what it says. Look, uh, Luke 23, verse 27 there. 
Verse 27, and I'm going to start in verse 26. Uh, and as they led him away, as they led Jesus away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So Jesus had some help. He was so tortured that he could barely carry it. He had some help carrying this in. Verse 27 there. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. So let's compare these. Once again, Jesus is at the center of the scene, right? And people are looking upon him. But this response compared to the Christmas story is is much different because instead of praise and glory being the response of the people who get to see this, we see that it's lament and mourning. And why are they lamenting? They're lamenting because that long-awaited king, the Messiah, the promised one, I'll say it time and time again, like that person, they're lamenting because he's meeting his end. And we see in verse 49, if you're just glancing there, verse 49 says that these people that are watching, they've been with him since Galilee. They have followed him the entire time. Like they understood who he was, just like the shepherds understood who he was. They understood where he came from, just like the shepherds understood where he came from. Like, and we know on top of all that, Jesus' mother was there as well. We know that Mary viewed the crucifixion. And, and can you imagine the difference in her heart at this moment? having been the woman that gave birth to him at the Christmas story and now standing there at the foot of the cross as he dies. Like all the people are present. The people know him. The people see him. But the response is completely different. Like Mary went from treasuring all that God did. You know, it says that in Luke 2.19. It just says, Mary treasured up all these things, all the things happening in the Christmas story, pondering them in her heart like she treasured them. For God to allow her to get pregnant with the Savior of the world. So much so that she even wrote a song about it. If you read Luke 1 and 2 this week, you saw like there's a middle of Luke 1. Mary writes a worship song about all the things that God did for her. And now she's here and she's weeping and mourning. And actually it says that she's watching from a distance. So praise at Christmas has turned to lament at the crucifixion. Why is this important for you to understand? Why, why, why am I even bringing this up? Why didn't I just preach Luke 23 to you tonight? Or why didn't we just do a Christmas message? I want to give you a few reasons. Well, first, to the depth that we understand the hope of Christmas, to the depth we understand how amazing it was that he came, is the depth that we understand the sorrow of the crucifixion. The depth that we understand how tragic it was for who they expected him to be to be ending there. Like understanding how the birth of Jesus made people feel helps us understand the tragedy of Jesus' sacrifice. And, and I would say that it's important to understand the tragedy of Jesus' sacrifice to get the most out of this context in the Gospel of Luke because y'all probably go to church, most of you, on Sunday mornings. You've heard that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. If you've come to our church, you've been through Christ's final hours, you've been to Good Friday, you understand the knowledge that Jesus died on the cross, but to the more that we can let it impact our hearts and put ourselves back at that moment, the more that we can continually come to Jesus. So I think it's important to understand the hope that was there at the beginning of his ministry and now to be there and, and experience this crucifixion. And third, I think it's important that we under these, understand these things uh, in the Christmas season because we head towards Christmas, we're reflecting on the birth of Christ. And to put it simply, like, there's a weight and understanding that the baby that was born 
on Christmas Day is the man that dies on Good Friday. And to know that God had that planned out the entire time. And so for us, over these next 25 days, as we think and celebrate Christmas together, we're able to have the complete story and know where he's heading. All the more to be thankful for the fact that he's here, right? So that's some of the reasons to to be going through it. And I promise we'll connect more as we go. That's the first point is that the praise of Christmas turned to lament at the crucifixion. Here's the second thing that we see uh, in the Christmas reversal of Luke 23, and that's that comfort turned to caution. Comfort turned to caution. So go ahead and stay in Luke Luke 23. Um, Let me show you another aspect of the Christmas story, though. We're going to be back in Luke 2. It'll be on the screen in just a second. So we are back to the shepherds that visited Jesus. But this is before they visit him. So we're, we're sort of stepping back in the Christmas timeline. Like we're here, and this is before the shepherds visited him. And this is actually back when the angels first appeared to the shepherds. So let's look at it together here on the screen. Luke 2.10. I'm going to start in verse 8, just to give you some context. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So put yourself in this scene. The angels just, bam, just show up on the scene, right? Like, And it says immediately that the angels were filled with, or the angels, the shepherds were filled with great fear. Now, it doesn't say what kind of fear that they were filled with, right? Like, I had to imagine at first, was it like a fear? Like, I mean, it says watching over their flocks by night, right? Like, nighttime's pretty quiet for a shepherd. Sheep, they don't make that much sound, especially at nighttime. Like, what did it sound like for the angels to show up, right? Was it like just a a loud sound and all of a sudden they were there? You go from dark to bright, I think about the times like this made me think about like when I'm in the car with my wife and something happens unexpected, what does she do? You all know, you all know you've been in a car with someone like this, <gasps> right? It's like the silence goes to just someone gasping and it makes me jump because we just went from silence to a lot of sound. And so like I began thinking like, what was it like to be there and all of a sudden just experience these angels show up. Could it have been that kind of fear? And I think it could have been. It could have been a fear of, of startlement. But what we certainly know is that it could have been a fear of judgment and a fear of unholiness to a holy God, right? I mean, like if they know who they are, if they are no, they are angels, and it seems like the angels made it pretty clear they were angels, then you know that they're filled with some kind of fear that God is going to do something. Maybe they've done something that they are going to be judged. But but either way, they were fearful. We know that. And being filled with fear, here's what happens. They were comforted. They were comforted by the angels. What did the angels say? They said, fear not. Do not fear. And why should they not fear? Because it says, I bring you good news of great joy, meaning like they are bringing something that shouldn't cause fear, but it should cause joy, exuberance, exultation, like happiness, glee, like whatever you want to describe it as, the good news of Jesus Christ being born causes joy in our hearts, or at least it should. 
And that's not just for the shepherds. Like this news is not just for the shepherds. We see it right there. Who does it say that it's for? And it will be for all the people. Doesn't say just the Jews. Doesn't say shepherds. Doesn't even say those who are in Bethlehem. It says all the people. That's them. That's the nations. And by extension, guys, that's me and that's you. Good news of great joy for those who understand it and accept it. Christmas is the time that we celebrate the fact that that came, right? We reinvigorate ourselves to share it because it's for all the people. We fill ourselves again with that, that joy and we ask the Lord to do that. So that's, that's Christmas, right? We see a great comfort given to those that were fearing at the sight of the angels. But the same is not true if we go back to the cross, 30 years later, Jesus carrying the cross back in Luke 23 here. Let's look at verses 28. Luke 23, verse 28. So this is right after it says the women were lamenting. And it says, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They, then they will begin to say to mountains, fall on us and to hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So what we see here is that the, this comfort of Christmas, this good news for all people also comes with some caution. Now, I don't want to spend the entire message on just explaining this passage right here. This is sort of a complicated thing that Jesus is saying, right? That, that something about wood and, and drying and green, and then like, man, it sounds like he's cursing people, and how is he even talking this much if he's been crucified or like, you know, going through all this? Like, there's just a lot here, and I don't want to spend the whole time on it, so I want to just summarize it for you really quickly. When Jesus says, daughters of Jerusalem, he's speaking not only to the women there, but he's speaking to the city of Jerusalem, right? If he would have addressed them just as them, he would have said daughters of Abraham. He would have addressed them as Jewish women, but instead he calls them daughters of Jerusalem. Therefore, like signifying, he is speaking actually to Jerusalem itself and the offspring of Jerusalem and the people that belong to Jerusalem. So he's speaking to them, and we've seen this quite a bit in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. He's pronouncing judgment on them. If you remember some of our parables that we covered couple months ago about how the Jewish people were invited to the feast but they didn't want to be there so God was like never mind I'm going to bring the Gentiles in instead and you've lost your place and you'll never get to experience it like we actually covered that a couple different times this idea that Christ has pronounced a judgment on those that are supposed to know him and that's what we're experiencing right here so it's along those same lines and he's speaking to them and what he's essentially saying is this don't weep for me Weep for you and your children, for the day is coming when you're going to wish that you were cursed, right? So the idea of not being able to have children, that's, that's a, a curse, and especially in this uh, flow of thought here. It was considered a curse from God to not allow you to have children at that time. And so what he's saying is like, it's going to be so bad for you that a curse is going to seem like a blessing, it's going to be so bad for you that you're going to wish that this had happened to you rather than everything else. And then Jesus says in verse 31, this is sort of the confusing part, right? Like he says, 
For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So if you do these things when the wood is green, meaning, like if God is willing to let his son suffer, how much more will he let those who have persecuted him suffer? Who have denied him? Who have rejected him? It's actually taken, if you want to do deeper research later, Proverbs 11.31 is where this is taken. It's a, a really common Jewish saying, actually. Come find me afterwards if you want to really understand this better. But anyway, that's, that's the cliff notes, okay, of, of what Jesus is implying here. It's got a whole bunch of context to it. All that to say, can you see it's a serious statement, right? I told you it was a Christmas message, and now I'm like punching you with a lot of seriousness. I get it. Trust me, we're going to get somewhere else soon. Um, you see, it's a serious statement though, right? And it's not the same kind of hope-filled statement that happened at the Christmas story. Like this isn't one of those fear nots, right? So this is a prophetic statement. Jesus is saying something on behalf of God to the people. Just like the angels were saying something on behalf of God to the shepherds. But the message is completely different. This is not a fear not statement, but it's like a you should fear statement. You should be cautious. Like, so once again, we have a statement made based on what is happening to the Son of God in the Christmas story he's being born and the crucifixion he's being executed and the statement of adoration and comfort at Christmas. So far, we've got mourning and caution, right, at the crucifixion. So what do we do with this information? I'll ask that a lot. What do we do with this information? What do we do with the fact that Jesus pronounces judgment on those who are supposed to know him? those who are supposed to love him, those who are supposed to have accepted him, but instead they've actively denied and persecuted him. What is our encouragement from this, especially like in this Christmas season? Like what's our encouragement in this? And at this moment on the cross, I don't have this on the slides or anything, but if there's like a point of application that you're like you're writing down in the margin of your Bibles, I think there's a really great one from understanding that line there, and it's this. Always seek to adore Christ rather than ignore Christ. Yes, I sort of use that wording because it, I can remember it, right? But always seek to adore Christ rather than ignore Christ. Like that's the encouragement that we get from that line that he's stating to the Jewish people because what they did is they ignored him. They rejected him. They pushed him away when they were supposed to be the ones accepting him. And if you guys say that you belong to God, if you say that you are sons and daughters of God, if you say you belong to Christ, then the prayer is that we would adore him like we see at Christmas time with the shepherds worshiping him and that we wouldn't be the people he pronounces judgment on like he does here at the crucifixion. So seek to adore Christ, not ignore Christ. Really, don't be actively seeking to persecute him. And you're probably asking me, like, okay, I'm just trying to understand here. Christ is, uh, he, he's, he died on the cross and he was resurrected. So that persecution's done, right? So, Cody, how am I possibly still persecuting him? Like, I, I don't actually fit in this category with the Jewish people that he's putting judgment on because I'm not actually persecuting him. And that would say, yes, actually, yes, we are. See, Christ died for the sins of the world, died for the sins of his people. And as we actively continue on in unrepentant sin, as we actively continue on in ignoring the things of God when we claim to be of God and from God, we are lashing persecution on him. We're putting it back on him on the cross. 
That represents the things that we have done are applied to him. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraging you. Don't ignore him. Don't continue to persecute him like they were, but rather adore him. All right, so the second point. Third point. In Christmas, we see a promised king and the crucifixion became a suffering servant. A promised king became a suffering servant. This point is shorter, but it's just as important, right? And, and the purpose of this point is to emphasize Christ, emphasize his person and his character and all this. So let's, let's just look back at the Christmas story real quick. We've gone a bit further back now, right? Like I told you, we're sort of stepping back through the Christmas story. But before the shepherds, before the angels, and now we're back to the time when Mary, a young virgin girl, was told by the angel Gabriel that she'll be giving birth to God's son. Like he shows up and he starts talking to her and, and this is what he says. Um, I think I have this one on the screen as well. Luke chapter one, verse 32 and 33. He says, he's talking about Jesus and he's telling Mary, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So what we see here, not going to emphasize it too much more, but Jesus is the promised king, right? We've hit this time and time again. He's the promised Davidic king, and he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. That's King David. Like I said, we'll talk about that next semester. We see that, that he is the promised king, and he's going to be great. Let's jump ahead to the crucifixion and see exactly what they make of their king. Because the king is also mentioned in the crucifixion in Luke chapter 23 as well. Look at verses 35 with me. 23:35 says, And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews... Save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that read, the king of the Jews. So what we see here is that this king, right, even the servants right here, they're calling him king and mocking him as king. We see that he's actually become a suffering servant. Now I know you're like, well, Cody, where did you get that language? Well, um, this is something you can research later too. This is something we mention a lot around Good Friday and the crucifixion, but I actually get that language from Isaiah. See, Isaiah was a prophet. He wrote about the things that were going to happen to God's people 800 years before Christ was ever born. Isaiah was writing this. And Isaiah says this in chapter 53, so it's not on the screen or anything. I'm just going to read it to you because I just want you to listen to this description. Isaiah 53 Isaiah is talking about this, this servant that's going to suffer, and he says this, He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. You're like, okay, Cody, I think I see where you're going. Just listen. Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
800 years before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah the prophet wrote that there was going to be a servant of God who took our sins and healed us through his wounds. And this here in Luke 23, this is the fulfillment of that. And what we see, this amazing contrast, is that this promised king has become a suffering servant now. He's the servant of God who is suffering for us and dying for us. So that's why it's the reversal of Christmas. Right? You can see, I mean, there's so many more points I couldn't possibly cover them, but I just wanted to show you some of them of like, man, it's sort of, it's crazy to think like these things that were going on are still going on, but now the Lord has deepened them and changed them and revealed more. And it's easy to see just some of the things and the weight that happens from both women. You know, like I said, I, I'm assuming tonight that you have heard the, the, the preaching that Jesus Christ has died for your sins on the cross. And tonight, instead of just focusing on that one moment, I wanted to focus on the entire tragedy. I wanted to focus on the entire story to just build it up for us so we can better understand it and see how everything fits. And especially as you're living your life in the next four weeks, to be able to appreciate the crucifixion just as much as you appreciate Christmas and vice versa. All right. I told you it's all super serious tonight, except this one last point, and I really want us to lean into this last point as we wrap up here. Yeah, he was a promised king who became a suffering servant, yet hope still abounds and God still reigns. You know, we've been talking about sort of the differences between the Christmas story and the crucifixion, but here's one thing that we absolutely see in this story, and it's that in both of them, in both the Christmas story and the crucifixion, hope still abounds and God still reigns. Let's look at this last little bit of the passage together. Luke 23, verse 39, going through 43. One of the criminals, so this back to Jesus on the cross, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Guys, I just set up for you how awful the crucifixion is, right? I, I mean, like there's lamenting, there's warning and judgment and caution. There's Christ, the one we've been studying for 22 chapters, suffering on the cross for us. I just set all that up for you. How it sure seems like there's a lot of not hope going on, right? And yet, even in the midst of all this, what is Jesus able to do in his weakest moment he's ever had in his life? He is still able to save sinners. He is still able to give the hope to the criminal on the cross that his birth gave the hope to the shepherds. He is still able in that moment 
to not only give that hope, but to prove that God still reigns. That the God that caused Christ to be born to Mary is the God that is working on the cross and the God that's going to save that criminal because he put his faith in Christ. And that he says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Even at his weakest moment, Jesus still has the absolute power to save to the uttermost. And so that's hope. The hope that's found in God being sovereign enough to cause Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, prophesied by many prophets over hundreds of scriptures, like the same God that's sovereign in that moment is the same God that's sovereign on the cross, is the same God that's sovereign to save us now, is the same God that's sovereign to bring his word to these pages that we can read it, that we can know him, that we can love him, that we can be with him. And so I think... That's hope filled. I think it shows us that the crucifixion, we're never going to grow tired of it. We're never going to grow weary of our Savior. Because in every season, we can look back on the cross and we can see God in it. We can see his will for our life. We can see what he wants to reveal about it in the new season. And I just want to encourage you, as you guys head into this Christmas season, be thinking about where he's heading. The babe that is born. Think about how he's going to be the man that dies. I pray that gives you an impactful Christmas. Next week, um, we're going to wrap up the Gospel of Luke. We're going to talk about the resurrection. I love the resurrection story. We're going to talk about a lot of really cool things. If you want to do a deep study, the road to Emmaus. That's what we're going to be talking about, the road to Emmaus. We'll be covering that. Luke chapter 24. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for the time we've had to be together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just how amazingly it all comes together. Lord, thank you for weird Christmas messages that talk about the cross and the manger at the same time. And thank you that we get an opportunity to see connections. Uh, Lord, I just pray that whatever wasn't clear here tonight, that it would be very evident that it's my fault, Lord, that you are clear and I am not that you are perfect and I am not, that you are sovereign and you provide hope and eternal life, and I do not, Lord. I pray that you would just allow your spirit to work strongly in our hearts and minds as we chew on your word here, as we process it, as we go throughout our lives this next week. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.